everybody welcome to episode 46 of the bomber brothers podcast part of the pinstripe alley community of podcasts sean and ryan here with you to talk about some more astros baseball news we've got some league-wide baseball news with the proposed schedule changes pitchers and catchers have reported so we talked to robert pimpsner of pinstripe prospects to uh, go over some names to keep an eye on one spring training game start, who to look at, some potential dark horses for the fifth spot in the rotation, things like that. And if there's anyone to talk about when it comes to Yankees minor leaguers, it's definitely Robert Pimpsner. He knows a ton about the Yankees minor league organization and Pinstripe Prospects uses that knowledge on that website and everyone should check that out um but yeah first sean we've got uh like you said before we stopped recording this astro stuff just doesn't seem to die we had jared diamond's um exclusive article on the wall street journal which kind of detailed more about how this all started and 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 kind of really laid a lot in front of the front office with we had an intern who first started using quote-unquote code breaker and um and the dark arts (laughs) <laughs> which were um, fantastic ways of hiding something that could have looked suspicious at all. Um, but yeah, so more more stuff to implicate to implicate the uh, the front office and the Astros sign stealing escapades over the last couple of years. Well, I I think the the lesson to be learned is the cover up is always worse than the crime, and I mean that's what we're seeing here. I think there's anger because it's like okay, we thought we were past it, and now there's more stuff coming out and. Hinch was on the interview on Friday night with Rosenthal, or I think it was Ken Rosenthal, but whoever. It was Tom Verducci. Verducci saying that, well, not saying that they didn't use buzzers this year. And I know he tried to walk that back a little bit, but I mean, there's just more and more stuff that leaks out. You know, with these emails, it's obvious that there was a ton of people within the organization that are connected on this. And excuse me. Um, with Lonhow receiving them and their stupid names. And I mean, I guess we're going to have to get Professor Snape in here to teach some, uh, you know, defense against the dark arts. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's um, very, very interesting. But uh, I find it rather convenient that a story came out basically pitting most of the player blame on Beltron and McCann when they're both gone and out of baseball now. I, I think somebody threw them under the bus here and there's probably a lot more at play but either way so much has leaked out now after the investigation concluded uh quote unquote um and it just it's a story that won't die and you're seeing it spill over into the yankees camp where i mean guys like uh gary sanchez and and, and chapman and you know i don't know if you saw david robertson's 
I comment did, yesterday, yeah. but I thought that was very powerful too. But the quote, quote of spring training is that Gary Sanchez said if he hits a home run to send the Yankees in the World Series, he doesn't care if they rip all of his clothes off, rip his pants off. He doesn't care. Yeah, well, now I'm praying that Sanchez hits a walk-off home run to send the Yankees to the World Series. He'd, he'd be the first since Aaron Boone. and then Perfect. He, he, <laughs> that would be – look, I'm not saying take everything off. Like, obviously, you can leave um, leave all the – Leave the gold thong on? <laughs> that would um, that would be uh, probably the most memorable moment in baseball history. Um, can I take a quick aside? Yeah. I was, I forget if I saw this on Twitter or somebody was talking about it. The gold thong thing to get you out of a slump. Who first, like, who thought I'm going to wear a gold thong and start to hit better? Because somebody had to do it first. Like, obviously, if you're the second person, it's like, oh, it worked for this person. I'll try it. But who was so desperate that they said, let me let me put this on? Wasn't it Giambi? That's insane. How do you think of something like that? I don't know. Look, baseball players are weird. We know of all their superstitions and rituals, so. They're willing to do whatever it takes. Some are even apparently willing to um, engage in the dark arts. Anything yeah, to sorry. get a competitive back, back, edge. Yeah. Back to wearing buzzers. <laughs> um, sorry for the assault. No, that's fine. Yeah, if, if for anyone that didn't see it, David Robertson essentially said that he felt like he had some of his best stuff in Game 6 of the 2017 ALCS, obviously a game the Yankees lost, and again another game where the Yankees also couldn't score any runs. So I'm still not – going to sit here and say that I think um, whatever the Astros were doing was, um, you know, the reason the Yankees didn't make it to the World Series. But David Robertson made it seem like he felt like he had really good stuff and just couldn't figure out how guys weren't, um, how guys were laying off certain pitches or how they were connecting on certain pitches. So he clearly was upset about it. Um, what else has come about? Uh, Chapman's Chapman today. Yeah, yeah. Chapman said, um, you know, Chapman praised Marwin Gonzalez for apologizing and said more players should do that. Um, and also said that, you know, some kind of like a we'll never know thing about if Altuve knew his slider was coming. That's another tough, tricky one. Even, <laughs> even if that slider hung. Like yeah, hell. exactly. Even if this wild, wild buzzer conspiracy proved to be true, which would be, oh my man, that would be. That would be something else. But even if it did, like that was a fat <laughs> hanging slider on what was what was it, a two oh pitch? Uh two oh or three one. Yeah. yeah. So that that's another tough one to uh to decide what exactly was all going on there. But you know, I, I think we haven't brought up the probably the biggest piece of in my opinion, the biggest piece of news over the last couple of days on this, and that's that the there, I think, were 12 teams I read that formally complained that the Astros were doing something illegal, starting with the Oakland A's, and the New York Yankees were one of them. And Major League Baseball did nothing until our hero went out and uh, and outed um, and outed them to the Athletic. And it's amazing to me that I mean the Yankees had their complaints, and and the Astros now look ridiculous for the way they responded to it. But how did Major League Baseball not get on this sooner when they had formal complaints uh, from other teams with what was going on? Not not even that. You you can go back to 2017 when the Yankees and Red Sox got in, got into trouble for um, when they were complaining about each other with the Apple Watches and, and the bullpen phone and the use of the replay room. That was that was apparently when 
Major League Baseball sent out that league-wide memo saying, like, okay, like, this has never been, you know, written in stone in terms of, like, what is legal and what's not. But here it is, like, it's not no longer okay to use the video replay room to steal signs, blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> if they had already felt like they needed to send out a league-wide memo, you would think that they would have taken these accusations from, like you said, numerous other teams seriously. And it just eh, – it really hasn't been the uh, most admirable handling of this situation, I would say. I mean, look, Manfred gave the biggest fine he could to the Astros. He took away the first two draft picks of the next two years, which you know history shows can really hurt a team in terms of you know building – for for future years, I can't remember. Someone at at uh, I believe it was either Fangraphs or Baseball Prospectus wrote a story about you know, the last ten years of teams that didn't have first and second round draft picks in uh in previous years and like how it panned out and it is not good. <laughs> See, so there's that he suspended Lynch and and Lunau for a year. But it also, you know, now you read Jared Diamond's article and it seems like, yeah, maybe there's some more stuff that was still swept under the rug. And you really hope Major League Baseball didn't know just how, I can't see how they wouldn't have known considering a lot of this that Jared Diamond reported on was like emails that could have been obtained by the league as well. But it really seems like Manfred's report, while he punished Lunau and Hinch, he basically put all of it on the player saying it was player driven and now with Jared Diamond's article you realize oh well actually the front office and a lot of different people in the front office had a lot to do with this or knew it was happening and and didn't do anything about it and aren't isn't one of the interns still employed by the team I think I I heard that (laughs) all right so why all right so why isn't why isn't he banned from baseball for life why isn't Loonhow banned from baseball for life. Like, I don't understand that. Uh, it's, I don't know, but, uh, that, that intern apparently like in a Slack message, basically kind of blackmailed the Astros saying, <laughs> saying like, I know what it, yeah. what we did to, to get a championship, like be ashamed if that stuff got out, <laughs> basically, uh, basically blackmailing the Astros. So got some wonderful human beings working for that organization. I'll tell you. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely been a tough look for Houston, and they're also just not handling the fallout well either. I mean, yesterday they didn't make any players available. The spring training facility was blocked off by security guards. and uh, we'll, uh, Today they have Crane, Baker, Altuve, and uh, uh, Bregman. Why the hell is Dusty – I mean, I understand Dusty Baker's the manager, but he had nothing to do with this. Yeah. They're just throwing him up there to be the freaking token nice manager who, uh, you know, I'm above board and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Dusty's great. Like, I'm, I'm glad Dusty's in the game again. But using him as a puppet in this is disgraceful. I mean, it's, yes. it's ridiculous. They're already off to a bad start. I, I mean, I'm, you know, 10 minutes away from this press conference, but – We'll see. We should be like Francesa and play this press conference and just grunt over just, it. Yeah. Kiss. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. And you know, to read ten to twelve teams have ten to twelve teams. That's half of the American. That that's half the league almost. It, it's almost the entire American league minus the Astros. Yeah. The I, only I, ones that probably didn't complain were probably the Royals and, <laughs> and you know, the Tigers. 
the Tigers because they didn't care. They couldn't tell the difference. They yeah. getting beat so bad. <laughs> it's insane to me that, that all these other teams complain, and it took this. And now there's probably more that went on. I mean, obviously, you you know, like you were saying, it was more than just a player-driven thing. Uh, the GM's responding to emails based about it. But he didn't so read we'll the whole email, so it's, it's fine. Yeah, well – I mean, who reads a whole email regardless? If you respond <laughs> to it, then – I mean, he responded to one of them. Like, that sounds good or whatever. Yeah. It's insane. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, so, yeah, that's clearly not going away. We've still got the Red Sox investigation to that needs to conclude. So there's that. Uh, speaking of the Red Sox, the Mookie Betts trade that we thought was happening didn't happen, but a different one happened. So – Mookie Betts is indeed out of the American League East, but it comes at a cost because so is David Price. Who do you think had a <laughs> Who do you think had a worse offseason, the Astros or oh, the this, Red this Sox? This isn't close. It's it's the Astros, but the Red Sox. Well, the Red Sox haven't been punished yet, though. That's true. So imagine if they get the same punishment, first and second round pick, and they lost their manager, and they lost their GM. Although they got a new one that they got to pick, not like last one. But then they also lost Mookie Betts. They didn't lose him. They gave him away. Yeah, they gave him away. I still, like, it still shocks me. I still can't wrap my head around it. Like, you, you saw, like, the tweet from Rosenthal after the original trade, like some AL, exes, AL executives. Rosenthal is pissing me off lately. No, I love Ken Rosenthal. He's great. I, I Look, like all him, he was doing, kind he, of bring up some weird points. I'm like, I no, I don't need to hear that. <laughs> all he was doing was tweeting the opinions of other people. He didn't say he thought the Mookie Betts trade was a good one. Uh, he no, was sort of he was invalid opinions. <laughs> he was just saying that two AL executives told him that the criticism to the Red Sox was was misguided because they got these young, cost controlled players with upside, and it's just never something I can wrap my head around. Like, okay, even if that's true. You're hoping that at the very absolute highest ceiling for these players is probably Mookie Betts. <laughs> so, like, you already have this guy. So why do you do it? Do you, so so essentially what, what you're saying is the game plan is to develop a superstar, trade him away in his prime before you have to pay him, and then collect young assets that you hope turn back into similar superstars so you can just continue the cycle all over again. I mean, eventually – these some of these highly touted prospects aren't going to pan out and you're going to be left with nothing all you're going to have is that you saved some money and got rid of a franchise player like it's it, I, I don't know it makes no sense it's I, ridiculous yeah I, I mean i don't get it the, the the yankees and red sox could have had really fun rivalry this year i mean look they had a the red sox had a bad year last year but they're still bringing back a ton of talent even if it's older i mean david price is still a good pitcher you still have chris sale eduardo rodriguez took a step forward last year that's a solid one two three in your rotation and then forget it with bets in the lineup their lineup's insane they, they're they're projected to win 85 games even without him i mean and he's what a seven se- win yeah player? yeah so that's 92 wins right there and that doesn't even account for price who would help that yeah. rotation except when he pitches in yankee stadium but every, everywhere else he's mm-hmm. still a productive pitcher he has some health concerns but i mean now it. now you look at the, the red sox rotation do they even have a fifth starter right now uh, I mean, maybe they got an advanced look at the Pocota projections and said, forget it. We're out. <laughs> We're out. Uh, the Yankees are what? They're mean. It's like 100 wins. Yeah, they're projected to be the best team in the American League. Um, there's some. There were some interesting ones. I mean, it seemed like they were very high on, on Mike Ford 
and and still pretty high on Voight, which which I thought was uh which I thought was good to see because well, yeah, we're, we're very high, high on, on yeah Zips was high on Ford too but low on Voight yeah so yeah we'll see all right well uh, I guess the last bit of business to touch on before we go to Pimpsner is uh, Manfred's uh, proposed changes to the playoff format so just to recap for anyone who doesn't know i'm sure everyone does but the playoff field would be expanded from five to seven teams in each league the first round the team with the best record in the league would get a would get a buy and go straight to the ds and then the remaining two division winners and then the top wild card team would host a three-game series, which would, according to Major League Baseball, apparently, you know, be held in consecutive days because they would all be in the same location. And then you'd have those two division winners pick pick their opponent between the bottom three wild card teams, and then the last wild card team, two wild card teams left over, would play each other. And then we go to the um, format as it currently stands. So I, I, I believe we know. Your answer, my answer, the majority of fans' answers, given the reaction on on Twitter. But uh, how'd you feel? What do you What did you think uh, hearing oh, about this format? I thought it was awful. I mean, I tweeted about it. It's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. Um, the way that MLB does their postseason right now, in my mind, is perfect. It puts an onus on winning the division, and um, you know, you have five five. You have one third of of the of each league makes the postseason, right? Five out of 15 teams make the postseason with two being one and done out of those five. That's fucking, that, that's perfect. Yeah. I mean, sorry for dropping an F-bomb. Now you have to put the, now I have to I click think for an length, extra I'm, button. Yeah. I'm think for, I think for length, I'm going to try not to curse as much, but anyway, um, I, I, I think the way they have it now is so perfect. Cause you have to, you have to try to win your division. If you don't, you're stuck in like a one game barn burner situation, which is awesome. And I love regular season ends and then you get right into a must win game. I think that's absolutely amazing. Like it's it's literally back to back must win games on back to back nights to get you hyped for the postseason. And that's it's so much fun, even when your team's in it and you're sweating it out. It's so much fun. I would hate to see that go away now. And it, it pisses me off that I've been agreeing with Trevor Bauer a lot recently, but I am. <laughs> did you watch his video on yeah, it? Yeah, I did. It's absolutely ridiculous. He's, he's got a I mean, fine coming his way. <laughs> but he's right. Why would, no, if, if you're the best team in the American League, they're going to have one day off before this three game set starts, at least, maybe two. Then they're they'll actually they'll have to do two in case of, their, of one game playoffs to get into them. Then they're going to have one day off after this three game set. So you're looking at a minimum of six games between the end of the regular season, six days between the end of the regular season and the start of the, the start of the next round. That's insane. I, I mean, can you imagine if you if you start your ace on the last game of the season, he goes the next one on six days rest. No big deal. But then the number two starter is going to be on even longer rest. It's like you're going to have guys with two weeks of rest. It's insane. Furthermore why do we need all these seven teams in the playoff? Why? It's, it's, well, it's just a stupid gimmick. If you want to have teams pick their opponent, okay. But why are you including all these teams in the postseason? It, it's stupid. It just creates more variability. We should be worried about getting, and this is what I like about the new system. 
it handicaps the wild card severely. And since the wild card has to then go play the, uh, the, 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 um, the team with the best record in the, in the league, their number one starter is not ready for that series. So it gives the number one team a better chance in the first round. If you do this three game series thing, they can go back to their number one earlier because it's a three game series. So they're going to pitch one, two and three all in a row off day. And then you can go back to number one. It's stupid. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll preface all this with saying I I completely agree. I'm not in favor of it. Um, In terms of why they want to add more teams, I feel like that, rationale makes sense to me is that they want they want more regions to be interested in baseball in in late september and and early october and they want you know more teams involved means more widespread interest because baseball is a regional game so there's a lot of fans that if their team is no longer in the running they don't watch anymore um but i just i just don't think this is going to have the effect that they think it is because Yes, you're making more playoff spots, but now you're kind of taking – unless you're the best team in the league, you're taking away the value of being a 90-plus win team unless you're the best team in the league. Like, for example, this year, if you're in the National League, the Dodgers just got Mookie Betts. Now, if we're in the other – if we're in this alternate universe where this playoff format is a real thing, suddenly suddenly every other team is like, okay, well, we're not catching a 106-win team why don't we just aim for the 85 win range where that gets us all into the playoffs as it is knowing we're not going to get a buy in the first round anyway so i mean if you look you look at the red sox they just traded away the second best player in the league are still projected for 85 wins and would still make the playoffs it, it almost it, it definitely doesn't give them any reason not to do what they did so teams are still not going to go all into um you know pay all this money out to try to field the best team they're just going to aim for that you know low 80s to high 80s win total you all you have to do is go back to 2017 in this current in this proposed format and you'd have two sub 500 teams in the american league make the playoffs so teams are not going to try as hard as as the league thinks they are because it wouldn't take much to get in and that's what makes baseball so great in my opinion is the exclusivity of the playoffs you have your division winners and then you have two wild card teams battle it out in a one game playoff it's not like the nba or nhl where nearly half the league makes it like you have to be good to get in so i get that there's issues with trying to um draw more interest from some of those other you know regions where their teams don't make the playoffs a lot some something like seattle and you're trying well, to go ahead well, well, then, then find a way to get their owners to spend money. Yeah, exactly. Worry about that instead of making this drastic change up. Maybe create penalties for bad records, just like there's luxury tax, tax penalties. Make penalties. For, make some kind of, um, me, you know, a way to measure penalties for teams not trying. Do something like that to incentivize teams to try, and then you will still have races in in September. And, and you know, you you think about the 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 proposed changes and the, all that will change is that instead of the race for the wild card spots there's going to be the race for the other wild card spots so the playoff races are kind of going to be the same just the fact that they're are going to be pushed a little further down the line to the other teams yeah just going to be shittier teams in the in yeah the... Ex- exactly um but i will say <laughs> that i kind of that i kind of am okay with the idea of a team picking picking its opponent i think that's hilarious because i just think about like I mean, let's let's say, for example, like 
um, you know, Cleveland in 2017, after they looked like a freight train, they picked, I don't know, like the Twins or something, and then got swept. Like, I think that would be so funny. I think that, you know, you pick your opponent, and then they beat the crap out of you. Like, obviously, that's not probable. And so Uh there was an article at Fangraphs that kind of calculated, went through like a million simulations or something like that. And like those bottom wild card teams that had to play a three game series all on the road had something like a less than 2% chance of, of winning the world series. So again, I just don't think teams are going to try to, to get that spot, to have that kind of chance to even get out of the first round. So I just don't think it's going to have that effect. And as a fan, I don't want to see this. I mean, I'd rather see the good teams battling it out for that last wild card spot to get into a one game barn burner. Because you think and that's kind of like the cool tragedy of it all is that you have these teams going all out um, back and forth. And and it's just to get into a one and done scenario. And and I think that so you could fight for a month to to win the wild card and then you're out two days later when you play the one game. But I was just looking at it. If you just go back to last year. 2018 or two years ago, this format, you're going to have three teams in the postseason that posted a negative run differential. Why do I want to see this crap in the postseason? I want to see good teams in the postseason. I want to turn on and see solid teams. I don't want to see what I see in fricking uh, August when, you know, the, um, you know, when the Mariners roll their sorry ass in the Yankee stadium and we just pound them, even though they, you know, with their negative run differential, I don't need that. Don't, don't don't dilute it. The, <laughs> well, the, there's plenty wrong with baseball. The way the postseason is set up is not one of the issues. And Rob Manford, I think he has a horrible idea of how to fix baseball. If this is one of the things that they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 been rough. I think it was um, Dan Simborski. I don't. It, I might have not been him, but because I don't want to put the opinion to the wrong name. But someone said like, I don't, I'm not even joking when I say I miss Bud Selig. <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, really, as a baseball fan, what what do you want to to change except keep the baseball? I don't care what the baseball is, but just keep it the same every year and tell us what it is. So we know the baseball should be the baseball to go back. That's fine. I actually like the juice ball. But if I don't have it, if I have the 2018 ball, let's say that's fine. At least I know. And then like when the postseason starts, I'm not going to be surprised. And when Didi hits a home run to the warning or or a fly ball to the warning track, I'm not going all excited because. I know that ball is going to die at the warning track. It's not a regular season ball. It's that's all I want. All right. Enforce a pitch clock. I'm fine with that, but speed the game along, cut out some of these commercials, stop with these blackout rules. So fans can watch baseball. What else do I need? Nothing. You heard him. You heard him, Rob. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right, well, uh, well, we had a different Robert on. We did not have Robert Manfred on, but we had Robert Pimpsner, who is the perfect person to talk to now that Pitchers and Catchers is here. And uh, what do you say we uh, go ahead and get to that interview? Everybody enjoy it, because this guy knows every... He probably knows more about the Yankees farm system than half the people that work for the Yankees. <laughs> it's it's entirely possible. So uh, here's Robert Pimpsner of Pinstripe Pro- Prospects to uh, talk about the start of spring training. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're joined now by Robert Pimpsner. You can find his work at pinstripeprospects.com. He's been covering uh, the Yankees minor league ranks for a long time. Robert, thanks so much for uh, coming on and talking with us about uh, upcoming spring training. Uh, I'm happy to. 
So one of the bigger stories coming into the spring training, especially now that the injury to James Paxton occurred, is going to be the fifth starter, and the Yankees can obviously go a few different ways. Jordan Montgomery is uh, back after recovering from Tommy John surgery. They also had a bunch of success using Chad Green as an opener and using a bullpen day. But how do you see the fifth starter shaking out? There are some potential rookies that could be in the mix, like a Debbie Garcia. Is there is there any one of those potential starters that you think will fill the fifth spot or is there maybe a dark horse candidate that you have your eye on i think right now it's jordan montgomery's game to lose uh, he is probably the most seasoned out of anyone that's going for that fifth starter spot uh, i don't see the yankees using an opener at all um i don't i think that was just a one-year experiment because they were just really weak last year in uh, in depth at starting pitcher which is not the case this year. Jordan Montgomery's healthy. He's back. He's going to have a full year. He's going to be in spring training. And I think he's pretty much the guy to beat when it comes to that fifth starter spot. And um, what it comes down to is he going to be up to the same test that he was when he was a rookie. Uh, and if he performs the same and he does the same that he did that year, he's going to be a phenomenal fifth starter. It was kind of weird, you know, looking into coming into the season uh, before the injury. He was going to be stuck probably in AAA as a AAA starter, as a depth piece. And uh, a lot of people were clamoring for Jay Happ to be traded so that Montgomery will get that spot as the fifth starter. Now he's going to have that opportunity to win that spot. He's going to be up against guys like Clark Schmidt, who is a phenomenal, phenomenal pitcher. He's a, he's a great prospect, a uh, guy I know really well. He's really great stuff. He has a really high ceiling, and he ended last season in double-A, and he had just an incredible season, especially in the development of his two-seam fastball, which he actually started throwing about a few weeks before minor league spring training started. So with uh, Clark Schmidt, there's also Debbie Garcia, who is the Yankees' top pitching prospect. Garcia, and I know there's an argument between Garcia and Schmidt. You know, Schmidt does have a higher ceiling, but there's also a little bit more risk there in terms of injury and everything. Debbie Garcia is also younger and playing at a higher level. So Garcia has been playing at AAA since the second half of last season, and he's also almost seven years younger than his competition. So that takes that's a lot into account to how a, a pitcher, a, a player, develops and how you how you rank them. Uh, in terms of prospect status. But Garcia is more of a number three. Schmidt is more of a number two. But there's also a lot more risk with Schmidt due to injury, and and he's also a little bit older. And uh, there's also some other guys in the mix. You know, know, Luis Sessa might be in the mix, but I I think he's just more suited for the bullpen. Uh, Guys like Jonathan Loziga, who's more suited for the bullpen. You know, eventually Domingo Herman will be back, but... I think he'll, he's going to end up as a part of that, that bullpen this season. And, uh, you know, you never know who else might come up. You know, David Hale is back in the organization. There's a couple other, you know, pitchers that they uh, they have coming up the ranks, like Miguel Yare and, uh, you know, maybe some dark horse candidates like Brody Crona, who uh, has had a pretty strong minor league career. So you never know, but overall I think it's going to be Montgomery's spot to lose and and you mentioned jonathan loisega another um 
maybe not on the level of potential as Clark Schmidt, but another person who has shown plus stuff. He has the velocity on the fastball, has also struggled with injury over the past couple of years. Do you feel like this is kind of an important year for Loisega to maybe stay healthy and, and show some value, maybe even in terms of a bullpen piece? Because like, like I said, the velocity's there, the, the stuff is there. Do you think this is an important season for Loisega to kind of take a step forward and, and put some results to his potential? I think that's a, that's a good uh, assessment of Loisega's season. He, this is his final option year, I believe. And uh, what's going to come down to is, is he going to be a part of that bullpen or is he going to be a potential starter? Now, most likely he's going to be in the bullpen. Before the injury to Paxton, I was like, you know, maybe you send Loziga down to AAA as, as, a, as a starter just to get stay, you know, stretched out and continue his development. And when it comes down to it in the major leagues, there's, it's great to work in the major leagues, but it's just very difficult to make changes and and really develop in the major leagues in that in most regards. And that's where you know going down to AAA might not be a bad thing. We saw it with Chad Green, we saw it with Jonathan Holder, and a few others. But uh, you know, but right now I think in due to his, mostly because of his injury history, and this goes back to before he was even with the Yankees organization. He's more of a, a strong bullpen piece. I think he could be a big part of that bullpen in the years to come. So one of the one of the questions I actually had was, you know, the, the Yankees have brought up some electric arms over the years, and we've kind of been spoiled with bullpen arms coming up from the minors and doing great things. And, and as Chad Green and Tommy Canley, I, I know their their team control will be will be ending soon. What other pitchers from the minor leagues can the Yankees get excited about coming in and maybe starting to eat up some innings from their elite bullpen? Yeah. Loziga obviously is a big one that would go become a big part of that bullpen. You know, I think you go see guys like uh, Brooks Christie, who was just added to the Yankees 40-man roster. We had a great interview with Brooks talking about his season and his development and a lot of some stuff. Um, on pinstripe prospects, I, I highly suggest you check it out. But he's a guy that has gone under the radar of many, many people because after his first couple months in the system, he had to have Tommy John surgery and sat out almost a year and a half, almost two years. And uh, so he missed a lot of time in the organization. And uh, he kind of exploded on the map this year. He, he's a guy that has a big fastball. He can get it up to 98 miles an hour in the bullpen. He's a true back of the bullpen piece that can actually eat up innings later in the game in high in high leverage situations. He's a former college closer. You know, he's a guy that has a really good head on his shoulders and I really think he's a guy that's going to come up and maybe turn some heads. You know, scouts love him. He also added a splitter into his his repertoire this year. He has a good slider. And I think he's a, he's a guy that's really going to be able to fit into that Yankees bullpen moving forward. There's some other names coming up, uh, you know, throughout the system. You know, Domingo Herman will be back at some point. You know, don't know if he'll slot into the rotation or, or the bullpen um, if he stays with, stays with the organization. You know, guys like Luis Heal, Luis Medina, our guys are in the 40 man that you know, clock's ticking. They got the three option years, so who knows what's going to happen with them? They both have high upside in terms of their front of the rotation potential, but there's a ton of risks there. 
they might end up as bullpen pieces. You know, guys like Miguel Yarre as well. There's there's Mike Schmidt, not Mike Schmidt, uh, Michael King, who is not a, a high velocity guy, but a guy that is high pitchability. And there's other guys coming up like uh, Daniel Alvarez, who was in Double A and Triple A this year. Really great season, and you know he doesn't like the radar gun, but he knows how to pitch. He knows how to get guys out, and he gives multiple innings each time out. And the the real dark horse candidate for the bullpen that no one's talking about is a guy like Caleb Ort, who is a guy the Yankees signed out of the independent leagues a few years ago, and he gets it up to 98, 99 miles an hour, and he'll give you a good inning or two out of the bullpen. And he was up in AAA this past year. He'll likely be in AAA again this year, and he's Rule 5 eligible at the end of this year. But there's, there's a lot of guys uh, coming up the ranks that could eventually fill in those bullpen roles and you know, there's guys that are going to be in AAA this year that could probably fill in those roles as well. But there's, there's going to be plenty, uh, plenty of opportunity for them to get in the major leagues, whether it's in the rotation or in the bullpen. Sounds like there's a lot for fans to be excited about. Again, we're speaking with uh, Robert Pros on Twitter. Robert, one of the things we were really, uh, really lucky with was uh, when Mike Ford came up in the middle of the season, he really showed a little bit of pop and uh, did a really nice job uh, coming off the bench and kind of taking some of the left-handed hitting duties over at first base. Are there any other role players you could see coming up from AAA and maybe providing some similar pop or, you know, in an injury situation where the Yankee fans could, can look forward to a little bit of a lightning in a bottle type player? You know, in terms of uh, power numbers and stuff like that, I think the only guy you can really see at the upper levels is, is a guy like uh, Chris Gittins, who's a non-directed, um, who's a non-roster invitee for this season for spring training. He's a first baseman, like Ford. He's kind of on the older side. He had a phenomenal season in Double A. He was the Eastern League MVP, and uh, he actually was one of the league leaders—not uh, the league leaders, but he was. Uh, oh, he was a league leader in many, many. Um, Categories. He was also one of the organizational leaders in terms of, you know, walks, RBIs, and home runs. So he's a guy that could make a big difference. There's a couple of guys like Trey Ambergie that could be a, a good fourth outfielder type in the big leagues. Um, in terms of the infield, uh, he's not a guy that will probably hit 300 and, and crush a lot of home runs. But a guy like Kyle Holder will be able to fill in in a pinch really easily because he's phenomenal on defense he's probably one of the best defensive players in the game and he he is versatile he plays second short third he's played all three of those positions he's naturally a shortstop and he's a former first round pick that the yankees took on as a sort of a project because when he was in college he was a two-way player he didn't focus solely on baseball so he was really behind developmentally uh, in terms of uh, baseball skills and he came a really long way. You look at what he did it in 2019 with the, with the Trenton Thunder. It was, it was just after that that first month, it was great. You know, he, he's a guy that can really help them when they need a pinch in the infield. Um, behind the plate, the Yankees are, are very thin at catcher right now. And you saw that when they had to uh, bring in about four catchers. You know, after the last season, about six catchers were... Uh, became minor league free agents. They brought back a couple of them in, in the persons of Eric Kratz and uh, Kellyan Bigelon. And uh, they brought in a couple more. So they're really thin at catchers. And 
that's it's probably one of the, the the worst positions for the organization right now, especially in the upper levels in terms of depth. But in the uh, the infield, you know, you got Kyle Holder, you got a guy like Mandy Alvarez who held his own last year in Triple A and had pretty good numbers in Double A, who might be a, a pretty good uh, piece for the Yankees if they need him to fill him in a pinch. And uh, Chris Gittins, like I said, is going probably going to be the biggest guy in terms of power production if he gets a shot, especially with, if they have those juice bowls again. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Um, so just sticking with the minor leagues, I know we, we often ask you like what kind of players you think can impact the Yankees, but st- staying in the minors, what, what players are you excited to sort of watch their development and, and see if they can take the next step, maybe not into the majors, but younger guys that you think have a shot to really start blossoming down in, in maybe single or double A? You know, I got a list of guys that are really, really like for one reason or the other, but they're not top, top prospects. You know, there's a guy like David Metzger, who's a non-directed free agent who plays wherever the Yankees need him at any level they need him. He's played as high as double A. Uh, he might have gotten some triple A time. I don't remember offhand, but, you know, he's, he's a true organizational player that does whatever the organization needs. I just love watching him play. If this was 50 or 60 years ago, Maybe 70 years ago, he's a guy that you know people would be like, "Oh, he's a scrappy player. I would love to have him on my major league team." But nowadays, it's not like that, you know. But he's a, he's a really fun player to watch. This guy's like Andres Chaparro, who's a third baseman by, by trade and uh, really working hard on perfecting his defense. He is a really good bat that may turn into something. So there's a lot of potential there. I really want to see what he can do his career and as a you know obviously the big name guys you know I, i'm really looking forward to see the uh, jason dominguez uh seeing how he does this year especially since this is going to be his first professional season and all the hype surrounding him you know esteban florio this is going to be a big year for him he's healthy i want to see if he what he could do is a healthy season like i'm expecting him in double a I, I see no point in sending him to to high a again he's had a parts of three seasons in high A and then unfortunately injuries like zapped a lot of that away from him. But uh, it, it's really time for him to, to see the upper levels and he's just tremendous tools. He is a true five tool player. He just has to make sure he can utilize them. And he, with him, this is just a lot of prospect fatigue has already set in where people are just writing him off. And unfortunately that's just how it works. You know, people get tired of hearing these names you know, if, if Dominguez stalls at one level, it'll, everyone will say the same thing about him. It, it's just the nature of the beast when it comes to prospect coverage. That's why I'm always telling people, like, just relax on the hype a little bit and just let these guys develop. You never know what could happen. Uh, on the mound, you know, there's, there's guys like Runzi Contreras. He should have a really good season in Tampa. I'm really hoping to see him take the next step in his career because I think he has a potential to be a number two or three starter in the major leagues. Um, you know, Luis Hill, I want to see if he could, he could really step things up and hopefully make it to double A and, and triple A uh, in the next year or two. Uh, there's just so many guys out there that I'm just like, I really want to see what they take, what they do to the next level, uh, especially guys like Justin Wilson and uh, Nelson Alvarez, two relievers that I think have a, uh, some potential to be back of their bullpen pieces that could really be something great for the Yankees 
and they weren't high draft picks at all. Robert, you had a, a piece on Pinstripe Prospects recently about a former Yankee prospect, Ty Hensley, a recent guest of our podcast, former first-round pick. Talk about a pitcher who came in with, with plenty of hype. of hype. Unfortunately, a lot of injuries took him down. I mean, could you remember what kind of potential you saw in him when, when he first got to the organization when he was drafted in the first round? And, and do you, uh, what do you think is his outlook for maybe making his way back to the pros? Yeah, it's really uh, tough for me to say about what uh, the chances him coming back to the affiliated bowl. Uh, I do know he will at least have a chance to go into uh, go into uh, independent bowl this year, and I really hope he does get a chance to play play an affiliated bowl. But uh, when it comes down to it, you know, he's a guy that when he was signed by the Yankees, he had a lot of uh, prospect hype around him. He was a first round pick, you know, guy that. You know, was going to have a good mid-90s fastball and a really good breaking ball. And we, we've seen that with the videos he posted with, with the, the Trackman data and the Rapsodo data that, that's been shown. You know, I'm a big Ty Hensley fan. You know, when I met him many, many years ago, one thing that really struck me about Ty was that his mental game was really strong. He's probably one of the most mentally tough players I've ever met. And when you see his story and what he had to go through to uh, get to a point where he is now and everything, you understand, like, it just takes someone with a very strong uh, mentality to get through that. And I really hope to see him make it back to affiliated ball because he's showing some really good stuff right now. His, his fastball is showing back in the mid-90s. His breaking ball's very high spin rate breaking ball. And it's just looking good for him. I know I, I talked with a couple of scouts about him, and hopefully one of them they get a closer look at him and see what he can do because I'm I'm rooting for him. Great, that's Robert Pimsner. You should check out his work on PinstripeProspects.com and, and just an encyclopedia for Yankees minor leaguers. So anything you want to know about anything from AAA to the lower levels, check out that website. Robert, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us. Anytime, happy to do it. All right, again, huge thanks to Robert Pimpsner. Everyone, check out his work at Pinstripe Prospects and follow him along on Twitter. A great follow to have, especially you know in spring training when you have some of these lesser-known names that are going to be um, displaying themselves and some of them even battling for for major league spots so definitely someone to, someone to keep an eye on and um and follow along throughout the season but uh i think that's that's it for us sean i mean what are you looking to what are you looking forward to in the in the coming weeks is it uh some apologies from the astros is it the maybe <laughs> maybe seeing if the red sox investigation concludes still plenty to be resolved in uh in baseball before spring training games start um i am actually i got a good one i'm looking forward to sunday i'm taking well i'm mom and shania are going but i'm taking grandpa smitty to the rangers bruins game at madison square garden so uh, anytime you get to go to a game with smitty it's going to be a good time oh yeah so i'm uh i'm excited to take him to msg and uh watch a little rangers hockey he'll obviously be rooting for the bruins but it'll be nice nice to take him to the game 
Nice. Yeah, that is a good one. What about you? Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Let's see. What is going on? I don't know. I'm looking forward to uh, more. I'm <laughs> looking forward to more um, low quality videos of pitchers throwing bullpens because because I was just watching that on my Twitter feed yesterday, and, and even just something as small as that made me so happy knowing that baseball is one step closer to being back. So give me more videos of Tanaka and Garrett Cole throwing bullpens, and uh, and I'll be happy. Isn't it weird? It's like you see people throwing, and it's just like yes, this is this is what we've been waiting for. Yeah, it's just it. <laughs> Gets you going, man. It's it's baseball's closer. It's the best thing in the whole freaking world, and and we're closer to it now. And that's that's it. That is it, and that's it for us. So thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to Robert Pimpsner. We will be back next week. Who knows what scandals or trades are going to be needed to be discussed at that time? But we will cross that bridge when we get there. But um, thanks to everyone for listening, and we will talk to everybody next week. See you later, everybody.